You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. Thank you, Steve. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. I will be reading from the Bible in front of your chair there on page 942, Romans 5, 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Thank you. You may be seated. So starting a new sermon series today, let me just show you my cards. I just want to be transparent with you why this sermon series. You know, uh, Christians say the darndest things. One, there was this TV show I liked in the 90s called Kids Say the What? The Darndest Things. Any of you see that show before? Okay, like half of you. Um, yeah, yeah, Bill Cosby hosted it, and he would ask kids these innocent like life questions, and they would say the darndest things. And that's what made it so funny. And so I've been a pastor for a while now, and uh, I've every... Um, Every statement that we're going to address in the sermon series is something that I've heard Christians say. So uh, the first being, God helps those who help themselves. And so we're going to just spend time together reflecting on that. And, and here's why. I, I kind of look at it as the icebreaker sermon series to the sermon series I will preach on the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, and we're going to spend eight weeks on this. Um, a long icebreaker series. Uh, I thought, I thought, oh, this is creative. This will be fun, um, which it will be fun. I was thinking, I haven't heard a sermon series on this until I went online and discovered every pastor in the United States, except for Keith Miller, has preached a sermon series like this one. And so, so I, I thought, I am not. I, I don't want to have anybody influence my sermon, so I'm just not going to go online and check out what people. I've said so. I spent a lot of time thinking through this, and and uh, there's a fra- there's a statement or a phrase that maybe you've heard uh, Christians use about deconstructing their faith. Well, I, I'm not think I, I'm not in a place where I'm deconstructing my faith, but I do think that God has gifted us COVID in America, especially for maybe one of the purposes is to deconstruct what it means to be the church. We've got so much baggage associated with what it means to be the, the church, political stuff, ideologies, all kinds of stuff. And so this is, this is kind of where I'm at. And usually when I pick a sermon series or I write up a sermon series that I want to preach, which is all my stuff that I'm coming out of my heart, um, it's pretty much a reflection of where I'm at. And so I'm, this is where I'm at. And so we're going to we're going to work through these, and so this week is, is this one, uh, I, one of the more popular statements that you've heard. How many of you heard, have heard this statement before? How many of you uh, have used the statement before? Nobody wants to raise their hand. <laughs> yeah. 
except for one brave person, uh, too. Because I, I raised my hand. I used it when I was younger. All right. So I read this story uh, about uh, Kaylee Wilkes, who had this plant, and this is... <laughs> I'm not a plant person, okay? So I thought succulent plants were not a species of plant. I didn't even know it was a type of plant until somebody after the first service said, ah, Pastor Keith, it's a type of plant. Succulent plants is actually a thing, like cactuses. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, now I learned something. Um, So Kaylee had this uh, succulent plant in her office. She was very proud of it. And she had it on a watering schedule because a succulent plant, you can't give it, I learned this after the first service, you can't give it too much water and, um, and, and you've got to make sure you water it frequently because it just sucks up water. And so that's what Kaylee did. She, she watered her plant, had it on a schedule, very protective over her plant. This is, and this is not, I also learned this is not a succulent plant. So I learned a lot of things in the, between the first service and the second service but it says grow on it. So, um, so anyway, so she, so, so she watered this thing. She had it on a schedule, um, and it, she was very proud of it. When I read this story, it reminded me of uh, our poinsettias, which I learned also is I, not a succulent plant. Um, but we had, we had poinsettias two Christmases ago that I thought were going to live for eternity, like, they live forever. I'd never seen a poinsettia live as long as these poinsettias. Now, all the credit goes to my wife, who cared for them, but I was thinking, wow, we're going to have these poinsettias from this Christmas for this Christmas, and they died. And I didn't kill them. They just died on their own. So we bought new poinsettias sometime in December, and they were, I mean, the ones that we had were billowy. I mean, they were lively. They looked beautiful. And we we replaced them with ones that looked lively and beautiful, and they died in two weeks. Um, why? Probably, I mean, anybody who knows me knows that I can't take care of plants. Like, we had poinsettias two Christmases ago in here, and uh, I didn't water them, and they were like, they were dead the next, the next week. So, but Kaylee was real careful about her, her succulent plant. She said this. this is, she's actually a person, okay? She said this. I was so proud of this plant. It was full, beautiful color, beautiful coloring, just an overall perfect plant. I had a watering plan for it. If someone else tried to water my succulent, I would get so defensive because I just wanted to keep good care of it. I absolutely loved my succulent. So what she wanted to do is just, it was time, she thought, to transplant her succulent plant into a bigger pot so the thing could grow more. And uh, when she did, when she re- tried to remove her beautiful succulent plant from its vase, she was shocked to discover that the reason why it looked so beautiful was because it was plastic. And so this is, this is what she said. She said this. She said, I put so much love into this plant, I washed its leaves, I, I, I tried my hardest to keep it looking its best, and it's completely plastic, explanation point. How did I not know this? <laughs> I pull it from the container it's sitting on, styrofoam with sand glued to the top. So, plastic plant. Now that I understand fully what a succulent plant is, I don't know how she missed it. Like, watering on a watering schedule, and it was just styrofoam. Anyway, and plastic. I think, when I read that story, I think, 
There are things that we believe about the Bible, some assumptions we have of the Bible, that's really not real. It's just plastic, right? And uh, there's no life there. Um, and, and these statements that we'll look at throughout the course of, of the sermon series are very much like that plastic plant. Uh, and there might be an element of truth to some of these statements, like even this one today that we're looking at. There, there's an element of, there's a, a bit of a ring of truth to it. But, but is it true? You know, 53% of Americans believe that that statement, um, the, the God helps those who help themselves statement, is, is uh, true, 51%. 81% believe it came from the Bible. I don't know which poll, I tried to find the poll, but there's a poll apparently that pulled the, the most well-known verses in the Bible. This was one of them, and it's not even in the Bible. So I, could, I, I looked all over to find where did they, where, where was this poll done? I, I don't know, but it was on the internet, therefore it must be true. So here's what we learn from the Bible. God helps the helpless. And that's what we see all throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. God is in the business of helping the helpless. This passage that we, we're looking at today in Romans chapter 5, and by the way, every week we will, we will unpack a particular passage in the Bible, and then we'll look at some other verses. Uh, this passage says that God is in the business of helping those who can't help themselves. Right? Uh, in verse 6, it says, for, for while we were still weak... I don't know why the English Standard Version uses the word weak. Most of the translations use a word similar to this, if not the word weak. But literally, the Greek word means powerless. So, for a while we were powerless. Why we were unable to help ourselves. Why we were stuck, unable to move, unable to do anything to remedy our situation. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And this is the story of the Bible from Genesis through Revelation, that God helps the helpless. And there are like three stories in the Bible that came to mind as I was thinking about this statement and I was thinking about Romans chapter 5. And the first is Adam and Eve. Like you know the story, many of you know the story. Adam and Eve we're in the garden. Adam was created in the image of God, and, God, and so was Eve. And, and uh, Adam was given, you know, basically um, a, a manager role over the garden. He was just told, hey, manage the garden. And there was one tree that you're not allowed to eat from, but he never said you can't manage it. He just said don't eat from it, and that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so as he managed the garden, he also named the animals, realized, hey, I don't have a helper like the rest of these critters do. How about me? And, um, and so God created Eve from his rib. And, and so they lived in the garden. We don't know how long they lived in the garden for before um, things got bad. But, uh, but God specifically told Adam, if you eat from that tree, you will die. And, uh, and so as we read through the story in chapter 3, come to chapter 3 and we see Eve standing we read about Eve standing in front of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we're told, it's so easy to miss, but we're told that Adam was right next to her. So he didn't get Husband of the Year award that year because he watched as he knew what was coming and he watched as this serpent, who we know to be the devil, tempted her. 
and said, surely you're not going to die. You'll be like God. And Eve's like, wow, that kind of sounds like a good idea. And Eve was, or Adam was just sitting there like, mm, I wonder how this is going to go. Because if she lives, I'll have a bite. If she dies, I'll just move on. <laughs> like, that's literally what's going on in this passage. So she eats the fruit. She doesn't die immediately. And she passes the fruit off to him. And he bites into it. You know, that story has been used um, to kind of... In, in years past, as a way of degrading women, they're not smart as men, they're not this. I, you know, I read the story and I ask myself, who's the dumber of the two? Adam. <laughs> Adam's the dumber of the two. And so he eats the fruit and uh, he doesn't die. And then immediately they realize they were naked. And, they, and, and this is what happens with sin. They were filled with shame. They were filled with shame and they hid. And, uh, and as you read the story... God wasn't there just waiting, hey, I'll just wait until they're ready to have a conversation. I'll wait until they feel like it's safe enough for me to just have a, a sit down with them, a heart to heart. No. What happened? God pursued them. He pursued them, he found them, and, and he confronted them too. And in the midst of that confrontation, he said to them, he said, you know, as a result of this, there will be death. Eve, every time you give birth to a child, you will be reminded of death. How many of you have given birth to a child? And how many of you were reminded of death in the process? Right? Um, it's true. And, and Adam didn't get, I <laughs> kind of feel like Adam didn't get like the worst of it. Um, he would be reminded of death from, uh, from tilling the ground. There would be thorns and thistles. It's a whole other sermon but, the, but that's what they would be reminded of. But God promised them. He said, there will be a descendant who will come through your gene pool, Adam and Eve, and, and, and that descendant, that child, will crush the head of the serpent. And, and as we read through the Bible, we're given more information as to who that descendant will be, what he was about. And, and the thing that blows me away about this story is that God did what only God could do that Adam and Eve were incapable of doing. They were incapable of covering their shame. In fact, they tried. They sewed fig leaves together thinking that would remedy their problem. And uh, anytime you think leaves are going to fix your spiritual problem, you got issues. God covered them with permanent skins and, um, and in a sense reconciled them. But he said to them, he said, early on, before this happened, he said, I want you to fill the earth with worshipers of me. Basically, I want you to fill the earth with your children who worship me, who worship Elohim. That's the first name that's used of God in the Bible. And Genesis 1 and 2, they don't do that. And that should force you to ask the question, well, why? Why didn't they do that? And then in chapter 3, they're told, um, in fact, God tells or promises Adam and Eve that um, this descendant will crush the head of the serpent. And the theologians call this this, these verses, verses 15 through 16 in Genesis 3, they call it the Proto-Evangelion, which means the first gospel. Like this is the first glimpse of the gospel, of good news that God is going to bring to the world. And so as you read the story, it's after that that Adam, after that conversation, after God interacted with them, after God covered them with permanent skin to cover their shame, after that, Adam looks over to the woman and he names her Eve, mother of the living. <clears throat> Which, um, and then they have a child together in response to the promise that God had given them. Now, that child didn't turn out so well. That was Cain. 
And then they had Abel. Cain killed Abel. You know that story. And then they had Seth. It reminds me of another story a guy, about a guy by the name of Abraham. And Abraham was in the city of Ur. I honestly do not believe that he was thinking anything about the God of Adam and Eve. And where he was situated was a place that worshipped, where the people worshipped the moon god in Mesopotamia. There's all kinds of gods surrounding him. My guess is that Abraham worshipped the gods of his neighbors. And we're told that Abraham wasn't seeking out God. God came and found him. And he said, Abraham, you're a descendant of, of, of Noah, who came after Adam and Eve, and you are going to be the person who, through you, I am going to bring a deliverer. I'm going to, through you, bless the nations. And, um, and what's interesting, and, and to, you should know if you don't already know this, is that the name that he had before God got involved in his life was Abram, which means uh, exalted father. He was pretty old, he was married to his wife, and they had no children. And his name meant exalted father. And then later on, God says, I'm going to name you Abraham, which means father of a multitude. He's like, well, hello, I don't have any children yet. Um, because God is in the business of doing what God, only God can do. And so he met, uh, he met Abraham and Sarah where they were at, and he told them, he said, look, I want you to go to a land that I'll show you later. <laughs> but I want you to follow me. I want you to leave Ur. And that's what, I, that's what Abraham did. He left Ur. In fact, God specifically said to him, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that, that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so, you know that. So Abraham and Sarah, they have a child, and their child have a child, and then, and then before you know it, you have a multitude of descendants that came after Abraham, and then as a result of a great famine in the land, they went to Egypt, and they camped there for f over 400 years. And they wound up becoming slaves there. And they were in a place where they could not help themselves. In fact, so desperate was their situation that they cried out to God. And it seemed as if God was silent. There's this guy by the name of Moses who grew up in Pharaoh's household. And, um, and when he was probably about 40 years old, uh, because he knew something about his, his genealogy, something about his family background, he saw an Egyptian guard mis uh, abusing another Hebrew, and he killed the Egyptian guard and fled for his life and then decided to become a shepherd for 40 years. He was 80 years old while he was in the wilderness, and then God appeared to him through a burning bush and uh, called Moses to himself. Moses wasn't looking for the role to be, you know, the, uh, the, the point person to lead all the slaves, the Hebrew slaves, out of Egypt. God found him. And when God um, encountered him, and, and he said, I want to use you, Moses, to lead my people out of the bondage of slave, <clears throat> slavery in Egypt, and you're going to be my man. And uh, Moses, his response was, you got the wrong guy. Like, I, don't, I have a hard time talking in front of people. I, uh, you know, I'm just not qualified. And then God says this to Moses in Exodus chapter 4, verse 11. He said, then the Lord said to him, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And then he tells Moses, you go and I will guide your speech, and I will use you, because I'm in the business of doing what only I can do. And so 
He does that. And so, and then Moses said, well, you know, early on, Moses said, well, who, who do I say, and this is really important in the, in the message, who do I say sent me? When I go to them, they're going to wonder who sent me to them. Who do I, what do I tell them? And God said this, you tell them I am who I am. Say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Say to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. What did God say to Moses? You tell them that Yahweh sent you. Which I, which, what's interesting about this uh, encounter that Moses has with God is that it is the first time that God personally introduces himself to a human being as Yahweh. Well, what does Yahweh mean? What would the people have understood when he went to them and said, Yahweh has sent me to you. I am who I am has sent me to you. This is what they would have understood. God is self-existent and not dependent. He's not like the other gods. He, he, he's, he's completely different. He's bigger than the plight of the, of the Israelites. He's bigger than Pharaoh. He's bigger than any of your troubles. Secondly, that God is creator and sustainer. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He gives life to Pharaoh. That's why Pharaoh's breathing, because God has sustained his life. Um, he's the one who governs the laws of gravity, who grants the sun permission to get up in the morning, who wrote the song for the birds to sing. That is Yahweh. That he is unchanging. He doesn't suffer from multiple personality disorder like all the other gods do. Not like Muhammad, or well, Allah, the God of Muhammad, who is not the God of the Bible, or, or, or any other God. He doesn't suffer from personality disorder. He doesn't get, he, he, when you read the Bible, you don't have Old Testament angry God, New Testament nice God. He is unchanging. He does not uh, fit into any mold that his, create, his, his creatures might want to create for him. That's called idolatry. He is who he is. And then uh, he is, <clears throat> un, not only is he unchanging, but he is eternal. He doesn't need to, I say this, every, oh, I say this a lot, but we need to be reminded of it a lot, including my, myself. He, he doesn't need to improve upon himself. He is eternal. He is perfect in every attribute that is true of him. His love, perfect. Grace, perfect. Mercy, perfect. Justice, he is perfect. Holiness, he is perfect. Um, all of those things, he, he is perfect. We're the ones who are jacked up. We're the ones that need to improve upon ourselves. And, and so he is eternal. So when Moses, when you go to my people, you tell them, I am who I am sent you. You tell them Yahweh, the one who is faithful even when his people are faithless, has sent you to them. And that's so important to remember. That is God's most personal name. So when you think, God, uh, when you hear the statement, God helps those who help themselves, I think the, the thing that's being um, assumed is that God only helps those who are willing to, to be helped or, or, or willing to just put in a little effort. And that is not what I read in the Bible. He helps those who are helpless. That's the point of Romans chapter 5. He helps the helpless. For while we were powerless, at the right time Christ died for us. And so Moses gets sent, and God uses him, and he delivers Israel from the bondage of slavery in Egypt and leads them to the promised land where they again proved to 
everybody around them, all the other nations, and they, re, and, and they demonstrate to God that they are faithless, yet God is faithful. And, um, and then, fast forward, and you have this, this virgin, young, teenage girl by the name of, anybody? Mary. Good. Um, so Mary, who wasn't looking to be like the mother of the Messiah, <laughs> She wasn't like one day reading Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 in her devotional time, say, and, um, and God, and this will be a sign to you, he will basically um, use a virgin to bring forth the Messiah. She wasn't reading that and saying, oh, I want to be that. <laughs> like, make me that, God. Now, she, that wasn't even on her radar. And God, through the angel Gabriel, said, you're pregnant, Mary. She said, well, how's, how's this possible? Well, because the Holy Spirit over, over, overshadowed you, and boom, you're pregnant. It's like, okay, um, and we know Joseph had a hard time believing that at first, like anybody would, but God did the impossible. The Bible is filled with stories of God doing what only God can do, and that's why Paul wrote in Galatians chapter five, 4, verse 5, uh, this, actually, I think I have it on the screen. Do it? Yes, let's read this together. Ready? But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. At the perfect time, under Roman occupation, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin. That was Christmas, right? We, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Um, which leads me to the second point, and I will rush through this, that God rescues the helpless. He rescues the helpless. He doesn't just help the helpless, he rescues the helpless. And that's the point of Romans chapter 5, Verse 7, if you're tracking with me in your Bible. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. And, and, and how did he do that? Well, verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. He, you mean he shed his blood on the cross for our sins? Yes, he lived the perfect life that we could never live, and when he went to the cross, he was completely innocent. He, had, he, he was innocent uh, you know, before God, uh, the Father, and he was innocent as a human being. He never sinned. And when he went to the cross, the people were given him, or given, given Pilate, or Pilate gave the people the option to either choose Barabbas or Jesus. They chose Jesus in place of a murderer. And the point of that story is we're all Barabbas. We're all Barabbas. We all should have been on that cross. Jesus went to that cross in our place. He bore the wrath of God for you and for me. Why? Because we're sinners. We're cursed. And we're like that thief that runs from a cop. We're not looking for God. We're running from him from the moment of birth. And God is in the business of pursuing lost sinners who seem, some people who seem so far from God that it's impossible for him to reach them. And he does that. And so he rescues the helpless and, he show, and we're told that he shows his love for us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And then look at verse uh, 10 in Hebrews chapter 5. For if while we were enemies, that's who you were before you placed your faith and trust in Jesus. If you're not a Christian watching the live stream or here, that's your state now presently, an enemy of God. It says that even though we were enemies, God found us he did what only he could do, he, and we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. That's who you are now. If you're a Christian, that's who you are, and that's who I am. 
He shows his love in that way. There's a pastor of a church in Philadelphia. He, this pastor is in heaven now. His name is Donald Gray Barnhouse. And he said this about what Adam did in the garden. I think it's so good. And I just want to share it with you. It, the words, the, the quotes on the screen here says, but the New Testament tells us that when Eve sinned, she was deceived. She thought she was doing a good thing. The devil had told her that by eating the fruit, she and Adam would be as the gods, knowing good and evil. So she thought that it was a thing to be desired. But when Adam sinned, he was not deceived. He boldly ate the fruit Eve offered him. It was an act of rebellion, the equivalent of a declaration of independence. And from that time, the entire human race has wanted to be independent of God. And God pursues you, and he, I mean, he pursued you, and he pursued me, and he pursues lost sinners. How awesome is that? That's what makes the gospel good news. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, that shall we be saved by his life. And Jesus, he was surrounded by these religious leaders who thought that they could do enough good things to earn a spot in heaven, that somehow God was indebted to them for all their good things that they did. They thought that they never broke any of the commandments. Um, but they did. And Jesus said to them and those who were within an earshot to hear him, Jesus said this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but how many? But who? Sinners. That's you and me. The point was, the Pharisees were just as jacked up as everybody else. Their sin, biggest sin was probably pride. And in case you wonder, if you're curious as to what exactly Jesus meant by that, well, he said later on, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he said this, let's read this together. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Who were the lost? Who were the lost? Most of us in this room. Maybe if you don't know Jesus, you're still lost. Um, but the story of the Bible is that God seeks out sinners to do what only God can do, and that is reconcile those who are running from him to him. We were once an enemy of God, and he has made you, and he's made me a friend of God. And we read later on in Romans, Romans chapter 8, not only are we a friend of God, we've been made children of God. We're like members of the family now. Something that angels stand on tiptoe. They're like, and we'll look at the, the um, passage where it says that angels marvel at the salvation that you and I have experienced. That's when we talk about the statement that uh, having gained another, another angel today. I've heard that a number of times at funerals. Um, and so, and finally, and this is brief, that God expects the, the helpless to respond. He expects the helpless to respond in faith. Like, you, think about the people that I just, the stories that we looked at, that I shared with you today. Adam and Eve could have said no when God said, okay, through your gene pool, there's going to come a deliverer, a Messiah, a Savior. They could have said no. They could say, you know what? Psh. Adam could have looked at Eve and said, I don't want anything to do with her. Like, you know, I, I, she should have just take, took all the blame. I pointed at her, and then she pointed the finger back at, you know, at the serpent, and it just... I don't give me another wife. <laughs> he could have said something like that, but he didn't. They had a child together, expecting that God was going to um, make real the promise that he had given to them. And in Abraham, he could have said, Ur's too comfortable. I want to hang out here. All my family's here. Everything I know is here. Like, the weather here is better. And you're not even telling me where we're going. 
Like he just said, go, and I'll show you eventually where, where you're going to call home. He could have said no, but he didn't. He went. And Moses, Moses could say, look, you know, take my brother-in-law, he's a pretty good speaker, or one of my other relatives. I mean, there's a whole bunch of other people that are more qualified than me. You don't need me. And that's the point. God didn't need him or any of us, but he chose, chose to use them anyway and use you and then he chooses to use me. There are, uh, there's a, a chapter in the Bible, it's Hebrews chapter 11, which talks about all this stuff, that, of, of, this, of the faith of these people that didn't deserve God's love, didn't deserve his mercy, but he, he extended it to them and used them in some profound ways. We read of Abraham this, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And then of Moses it says this, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than wealth than, uh, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. What reward? The same thing that Abraham was looking forward to. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible, seeing Yahweh, seeing God. And here's what we learn from the Bible. Um, there's a statement. And so I'm summarizing a whole chapter in James chapter 2. Faith without works is what? Dead. See, the, the evidence that you believe who God claims to be, the evidence that you believe what you read in the Bible to be true is action. That's, that's what inspired Adam and Eve to have a child. Faith in God's promise. That's what inspired Abraham to leave Ur, faith in God's promise. That's what inspired Moses to say, okay, I'll go to Egypt, because it was faith in God's promise. That God is much bigger than we are, and he's able to do what only he is able to do. Um, and even though, we're, even though it is faith that pleases God, make no mistake about it, if you... The reason why you are here today, the reason why you're able to exercise faith at all is because God allowed you to get up this morning. You have air in your lungs because of Yahweh. You have strength because of Yahweh. You will wake up tomorrow or you will die tomorrow because of Yahweh. And, um, and so, but he requires, like, uh, when he calls us, he expects us to respond. A wise person once told me something that is uh, sage advice, and it's true most of the time, not all of the time. He said, Keith, and this is when I was pastoring the church in Colorado, um, he said, Keith, you cannot work harder than those you're trying to help. And I think most of the time that's true. When it comes to human interaction, you can only work as hard as the person who you're trying to help. You can't work harder than them. In certain cases, it, that's not true. Like people who have disabilities, like if you're a parent of a child who's got a severe disability, you've got to work harder than, than that child. And, and if it's a spouse or somebody in your, in your sphere of influence, you've maybe, have, maybe you've experienced that. But it's true most of the time. But do you know what's true 100% of the time? 
that um, God is, is doing what only God can do. And, um, and that my life and my breath is in his hands, period. And that he is in the business of helping the helpless, rescuing the helpless, and in doing something amazing with the lives of the helpless, like you and me, molding and shaping us. And then know what he does? He says, okay, now I'm empowering you to do what only I can do. I'm filling you with my Holy Spirit. I'm giving you my Holy Spirit, and I am calling you to go and, and participate in this mission that I am doing in the world to make all things new. And Jesus told us, he told his disciples, and by telling his disciples, he told us, go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And guess what? I'm with you to the end of the age. I'm with you to the end of the age. So, does God help those who help themselves? I, you know, when I listen to that statement, it's kind of like the statement, it is what it is. <laughs> like, I don't know what to do with that. Um, I, I think it's kind of like a plastic plant. But here's what I do know is true. Hebrews, <laughs> and I say it is what it is a lot, especially in 2020 and 2021 and now 2022. It is what it is. Oh, here's another report. Now we have Florona, um, the child of Corona and the flu. And so I'm like... It is what it is. Um, it's true, too, by the way. I read that this week. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. This is what I know is true. Let's read this together. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I know that's true. And God is calling you, you know, I don't know exactly what it is, but he's calling you to some things that are going to require you to step out in faith. He's saying, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. You know what it is. He's impressed it upon your heart. And it's more than just showing up on Sunday. It's, it's what, what he's doing in your community, what he's doing in the midst of your biological family, what he's doing at your work. He's calling you into that. And whatever that is, you need to respond in faith and understand that he is Yahweh. He is faithful even when we're faithless. And he is a God who's capable of doing the impossible when, when, even when we're helpless. And he will do some amazing things through you and in you if you just trust him. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. God, thank you for the gospel that we read about here in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. That there is no hope apart from Jesus. And that it wasn't that we earned the forgiveness of our sins. You provided it free. And you said anybody who wants it, who wants to be reconciled to you, who wants their sins to be forgiven, all they need to do is just to receive the good news, the gospel by faith. That Jesus lived a life we could never live. He died on the cross, a death that we deserved. And he rose on the third day. And he's coming back again to judge the living and the dead. And you say, all who believe that your son Christ is the Lord and that you raised him from the grave will be saved. And for the rest of us, God, use us this year. This world needs your church because this world desperately needs good news the greatest news, the only real lasting good news that doesn't change. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.